0: a few days, there was a historical anniversary, and I don't know if any of you know what that date was, but 111 years ago, 1903, uh, the Wright brothers took off first flight and sailed into the history books. And it was said that right after that flight, that they were so excited that they cabled their sister, Katherine. Catherine. Uh, you know, they didn't have text messages, but cables, from what I understand, were pretty short. You couldn't put a lot of words to it in the way they were sending that information over wire. But she was so excited she ran to the hometown newspaper. And this was in Dayton, Ohio, and she ran into that building and she kind of threw this telegram into the editor's hands. And this is what the cable read supposedly. have actually flown 120 feet. We'll be home at Christmas, Wilbur and Orville. And the editor handed back the paper to Catherine with kind of a patient smile and said, Isn't that nice? The boys are going to be home for Christmas. The editor missed the main point, the obvious. But isn't that true for us today? That at Christmas time, this kind of time of the year, that we can miss the obvious. We have the gifts and the parties and the gathering of families. and we have a culture. I don't know about you, but the the build up of this expectations in this about this season, they're almost kind of the monumental proportions. And I think people have these expectations even about family coming together and and where there's broken families, they you know what? Maybe Christmas will bring them back together again. There's just this component of very deep kind of wishful thinking and hope during this season that things will be restored. You know, and the TV doesn't do any good for us as well. It it promises if you go buy this stuff, you know what, your life is going to be better and the world is going to be better around you. And, And we stop and you pause and you go, ah, we don't want to buy into that. But it's true that I think we can get kind of sucked into it pretty easily. You know, Christmas just doesn't deliver sometimes the promises that it seems to throw out there. But today, this is what I'm going to cover today is not new. It's really a reminder. And the reminder for us is just to slow down and ponder things. And my hope is that we'll shape the next three, four, five days for you. But but here's where how I need to begin. I need a confession and a conviction. And, and that uh, about a week as last Sunday night I think it was I got home and was talking to Deanna. I go, I just wish this season was over with. And there was this attitude that I that I had and and I think she might have said something to the Scrooge effect or something in, in there. But there's this place where my attitude needed an adjustment. And this sermon, in one sense, was so good for me, even as I was prepping this week. So to begin with, here's a couple things I'd throw at you. Enjoy your family during this season if you can. And second one, don't worry about the diet this next week, okay? Let it go. Um, Enjoy the week. Party, celebrate. I don't know if you realize this, but every third year, Israel collected a tax, for the nation to party. And I, don't, I think we kind of forget that. So we need to celebrate, rejoice. The day after Christmas, go shopping, find some great deals. Um, some of you are going, no, no. Um, but, but yeah, you know what? We need to have a good time. But here's where I need to pause and I need to add this. Just don't put your hope in those things don't think that those things are going to be fulfilling in terms of happiness and long-term really meaning. See, I think the call for us today is to pause and remember what is the substance, really, of, of what Christmas is all about. And I would encourage you even through these next few days to, to fight to take time with the Lord, to have that quiet time, to sit down and listen to some music and give God praise in this next week. But today is just to call us back and maybe ponder some things as we're heading into this week and to slow down and to pause. Last week, um, I don't, if you weren't here, we just talked about the promises of God. And this picture of Christmas really didn't begin just at Bethlehem, but we went back all the way to Genesis 3, where here is the first sin that was created, and God gives this prophecy in this curse to Satan that says, one day there's going to be a child born that's going to bruise your head, Satan. See, and that was the beginnings of God working. But but we kind of fast forward to a child coming into this world. And I even think of last week's reading of Simeon in the temple. You know the story that they come to dedicate Jesus, baby Jesus, and Simeon takes his child, who he knew was the the fulfillment of the promises of God. And I just think of him holding that and and in awe. And that, in one sense, that's how we need to be as well. But there's more to the substance than just a child. And I want to put a, a picture on the screen. There's a picture right there. And I don't know if you catch this. If you, You'll see in the backdrop, in the yellow there, you see a face. You see a woman there on the right. And you see this child depicting, obviously, Joseph and Mary and this baby Jesus. And then you see this... Maybe a donkey or a horse. Or, and I, I'm assuming that what it's, what it's signifying is Joseph, again, getting the message, you need to go to, to Egypt and protect this child, and Satan's going to want to try to destroy him. But then you also have a hill there. And you have a cross and see one of the pieces here, I think maybe we forget that Joseph and Mary there it was not just taking this child to Egypt. they were actually taking him to the cross. The main point for today, if you're taking notes, it's something we just can't miss when we celebrate Christmas, and the main point we're losing at times is the cross. But this wasn't a secret. See, even the prophets of days before Jesus came onto the scene, they knew something. The Holy Spirit had connected with them and told them, look at Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Isaiah there, Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call His name Emmanuel. That word Emmanuel, God with us. Uh, A couple weeks ago, if you didn't listen to that sermon, the humility of God, this idea that God became man, and you go, the, the profoundness of that is just so rich. But Isaiah wasn't done with just a child. There was actually more revealed to him. Look at Isaiah 53. Look how it reads there. For he grew up before him like a young plant and a root out of the dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. This is looking at Jesus. And no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one with whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he had borne our griefs and he carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced, For our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed, and all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. See, this wasn't just some earthly king or a little child that was born. This was a Savior that was born to die. And Isaiah knew that. That Christmas was more than just a child, it was a suffering Messiah. Why did we need that? Because we were eternally separated from God. See, I think what we've got to realize is that when you think of that manger and that scene, and we see that all you know in people's homes and on their lawns and stuff, but at times do we recognize there's a shadow of the cross is really over the top of that. But the tragedy is that there's so often people forget why Christmas and what Christmas is really all about. Matter of fact, on Monday, Barna Institute sent in my inbox, I'll put that on the screen, some stats. Just recently they went around and they were asking people and go, what's the real meaning of Christmas? What really is that makes you feel good about Christmas? And look at the stats on this. 72% say spending time with family is what makes the holiday season fulfilling. See, for America, there's this place where the holiday season is about going home or getting people to come to our homes. Bringing family home to us. And that becomes the primary meaning. But 13% say connecting with Jesus or God is how they find their fulfillment during this time. And 7% are honest and say, you know what, it's giving and receiving gifts. And 5% going on a vacation this time of the year. Let's fly south where it's warm. And let's relax. That's what gives it meaning. And another 3%. Donating, they're serving the needy. And donating is probably because they need a tax deduction at the end of the year. Do we catch, what is the meaning for Christmas? There's a Christmas poem that was written, and and I didn't look it up, but just kind of know the story of what was said in the poem. But there's this poem that kind of goes like this, is that when the angels were watching this time period, And they were so excited about the birth of Jesus. And they were kind of sitting on their seats and they were watching Mary just about ready to go into labor. And they were hoping to hear that sound of the baby cry where they could celebrate and get so excited. But just as she was about to go into labor, God looked over at one of these angels and said, hey, young man, or young angel, I guess it would be, you need to go to earth and i got a mission for you. I just need to have you plant a tree down there. And the angel heads down to Earth, and and how long he's gone, I'm missing out. I'm missing out on this huge event, and so he was bummed out as to why. And he heard the other angels. All of a sudden, the baby was born, and the angels were cheering and celebrating. And he never understood at that moment why Jesus or why God would not send him out, would send him on a mission, until. 33 years later. See, 33 years later, in this poem it says he realized the baby whose birth that he had missed was to be crucified on the very tree that God asked him to plant. See, Christmas really is the cross. The most important thing is not being born in a manger. It isn't the wise men. It's not the shepherds. Do we catch this? See, the Holy Spirit was forming that child in a young mom's womb. And when that fullness of time began and this child came out of the womb, do we pause and go, that was the second person of the Trinity that came out of Mary's womb? See, I think at times we kind of want to mindlessly acknowledge this baby and we forget that it's not about a cute baby. The question is, why? Why did he come? Why did God start that child growing within Mary's womb? And at times we're so content to stop and just look at the facts of the story and we never ask why. In studying this weekend, I'm coming across a blog and uh It was interesting because the writer didn't want to connect, if this is the the Bethlehem, the story of Jesus, he didn't want to connect it with the cross. And he pointed out that you're, you're minimizing all the things that Jesus did. Heal the sick and give sight to the blind and to show what love was. And he was saying, don't get confused by the cross. And I go, wait a second. This guy actually missed the cross as he was thinking about Christmas. He was a preacher. And in the comments below there, I would say this, he got kind of skewered for the most part. About four to one comments were going, guy, you missed something here. So the answer, why was Jesus born? Did he come to present God? Yes. To teach the truth? Yes. To fulfill the law? Yes. To to offer His kingdom? Yes. To reveal His love? Yes. To bring peace? Yes. To heal the sick? Yes. But those were really secondary. See, there's this one primary reason, one purpose, He came to go to the cross. Jesus came to suffer and die, and that's why he came. Bethlehem happened so Calvary could happen. He was a baby so he could grow up to be a man and die. He lived in order to die. Just think of a child. Many of you have been parents, and you hold a newborn infant. And you picture just kind of holding on to this little baby and and here's these soft hands. Even of the baby Jesus, these soft hands, do you realize they were molded by the Holy Spirit in Mary's womb in order that the nails might be driven through them? Think of a child. When you look at their feet, chubby and red, unable to walk, But when that child came out of the womb, those feet were formed to walk a hill, and ultimately to hang on a cross and put nails through them as well. Do we remember that? You think the head of a child? Remember, you know how a head is kind of soft those first few days. It doesn't. Do we recognize this glistening eyes in the head? That head was formed. So men would come and take thorns and crush it into his head. You know how a little child is soft. And you think of this child named Jesus wrapped in swaddling clothes. And yet one day, a spear was going to be thrown in his side to reveal his broken heart. That God had made his body for a purpose to be ripped apart. Crucified. See, because mankind fell and chose to live apart from God, the infant had to grow up and to suffer and die. And Isaiah knew it. In order to become a man. And if we wouldn't have had a man... Without him, there'd be eternal separation from God. Now, I wish I could go, I want to just remind you of a couple things as a result of his death. And if you're taking notes there, look at what he look at the first one. He was our substitute. He was our substitute. Now, what does that mean? Look at Hebrews 2 9. But we see Him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus crowned with glory and honor because of the, of the suffering death so that by grace by the grace of God He might taste death for everyone. To say it differently, He died our death. He paid our penalty. That's the only alternative that God had. Either He punishes you and me because of our sin, and that equals hell, or He brings in a substitute for us who takes our penalty, our sin, the consequences where we were supposed to have, and somebody else substitutes for us. He's our substitute. Number two, He became the way of salvation. I don't have it on the screen, but John 14.6, On the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father but through Me. He is the way. If He didn't die, folks, there's no way of salvation. Number three, He's our sanctifier. I think we forget that, that He's here to change our hearts, to be, help us become Members and family in the family of God. Look at Hebrews 2.11 here. Interesting verse. For he, who's he? It's Jesus who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source, himself, Jesus. That is why he's not ashamed to call them brothers. See, he invites us into his family. He cleans us up to be a part of the family of God. It's not that we, we do it. He's doing the work. Ephesians 5. He's getting us ready for a wedding. He's making us more beautiful. If he wouldn't have died, that wouldn't happen. Last one here. There's others too I could have put in here. Number four. He's our sympathetic high priest. See, it's obvious. Uh, Chapter 2. I'm going to read that. Hebrews 2. Uh, This is from the message, by the way, and it's so pointed. It's obvious, of course, that he didn't go to all this trouble for angels. It was for people like us, children of Abraham. That's why he had to enter into every detail of human life. Then, when he came before God as a high priest to get rid of the people's sins, he would have already experienced it all himself, all the pain, all the testing, and would be able to help where need was needed. Do we catch that? He is our high priest. He has gone through everything that we have gone through. And he even died. See, all four of these things were goals of God for his son. He became our substitute, our way of salvation, our sanctifier, a compassionate high priest. And there would have been none of these if he did not die. He was born to die. So when we look around, when we look at our culture, at our churches, what does it mean for us as we walk through this week? And as I pondered that, I really believe there's kind of three groups of people that exist during this season. And, and the first group, frankly, missed the point of Christmas. When you look at those stats of the responses, what does this season mean? You realize 87% of America will celebrate Christmas with little to no connection with the real reason of Christmas and the cross. They're going to, go to put up Christmas lights. They're going to go to Christmas parties. They're going to get up on Christmas morning. You're going to, they're going to exchange the gifts. They're going to gather as family together. They're going to sing songs. And for them... That's it. That's it. Uh, Now, if somebody followed that didn't know anything about Christmas and they followed that group around, what do you think they would learn about Christmas? I I, I think this, nothing. I, I don't think they could connect the dots. They go, what are you celebrating about? What's the family stuff? See, they have no concept of the why. But I I think there's a couple other groups here. And maybe these are within that 13%. They'll celebrate Christmas by celebrating the cradle, the birth of Jesus. Christmas will mean more than it does the first group. And matter of fact, they can even go to church on Christmas Eve. You can sing Silent Night. You can do Away in the Manger. But that's where it ends. And then let's get on to other stuff. And if a person followed that group of people around, what would they learn about Christmas? I I think they'd look at that and go, yeah, they're celebrating this birth of a child. But you realize something would be lacking. They would have actually missed the Gospel. See, the celebration of Christmas, unless you take it from the cradle to the grave... Something is missing. And for us, we need to stop and celebrate that Christmas is so much more than a baby. It includes the cross. And as I was thinking about this child in a manger, most people don't have a problem with that in the world. They really don't. I, I, I think the kind of, yeah, isn't that nice here? Jesus is good grew up to be a good man kind of type thing. But where people are begin to take a little offense is when you start talking about the cross because you end up bringing in sin, separation from God into it. That's when people become offended. That's when people don't like. Let's get rid of that and they get hung up on his death. See, Jesus was born so he could grow up and he could live a perfect life and die as an atonement for our sins. Uh, Listen to this phrase that I read here this week. Quote. You got there, Cody? Here we go. You cannot be saved... Because you trust in the birth of Jesus. You can only be saved if you trust in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus. The entire gospel. And I think back even as a father and at times you emphasize this little child in a manger and the angels and the shepherds and I forgot to tell my kids at times about Jesus going to the cross. See, for us, the birth of a child needs to be more. And, and matter of fact, a birth of a, ch- of a baby was never meant to produce praise unless that baby goes to the cross. See, as we look at a child and we look at Christmas, If He was just a baby, we shouldn't be singing. But He was more than a baby. He was the Savior who shed His blood and He died in order to redeem us back to Himself. We just can't point people to the cradle. We have to point people as to the why of the cradle. So, as a third group, I think as disciples, we need to not only celebrate the birth of Jesus, but we need to celebrate it in its entirety and the cross. We need to remember that the angels that came to the shepherds that night and they didn't say, Today in the city of David, I bring you good news and great joy because there has been born to you a baby. That's not what was written. Here's the correct way. Today I bring to you good news of great joy which is for all people for today in the city of David. There has been born for you a Savior which is Christ the Lord. It's Christ the Lord. And as I was thinking, I go, how appropriate is it for us a few days before Christmas Eve and Christmas that we would celebrate communion? I'm going to ask the elders and those that are going to serve to come on up. We want to celebrate not only a birth, we want to celebrate a death right now. And I would remind you that if you know Christ, I'd encourage you to just take that bread and the cup and just pause and just think about what God has done for you and for me. Elders, if you want to hand out the bread. Again, I would just ask that you would hold the bread so we can participate together. But just bow your head as you get that bread and just thank God for this Christmas season.